It's time for Carolina Blitz, the freshest coverage of Carolina sports and entertainment. Hosted by founder and editor-in-chief, Vashti Hurt. She don't play games. She covers them. Thank you for tuning in to Carolina Blitz on ESPN 730 The Game. My name is Vashti Hurt. I'm your host and founder and editor-in-chief of Carolina Blitz, a website, a brand dedicated to finding fresh and compelling news stories in and outside of traditional sports reporting and sharing them with you guys, the listeners, and the fans in a way that's entertaining and fun. We appreciate all the support you guys have shown for our show. So make sure you're continuing to listen to us each and every Saturday, 1030, right here on 730 The Game. And following us on social media at Carolina Blitz. Going to CarolinaBlitz.com on Instagram and Facebook. We are social and we appreciate your support. So make sure you're following us. Also, each week we're looking for new co-hosts so that we can highlight you, the fans of the teams that we cover So if you're interested, our DMs are open. This week, our special co-host is Desmond Johnson on Twitter at Des underscore 3505. He's from Tobacco Sports Radio. Desmond, thanks for being with us this week as our special guest co-host. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, the teams you're a fan of, and how you got to be a fan of them. Uh, hey, I appreciate you having me on, Vashti. I've heard a lot about uh, Carolina Blitz. It's been a, a blessing uh, to be your co-host uh, for this weekend. I am uh, Desmond Johnson. I'm the owner of Tobacco Road Sports Radio. It's based here in the Triad in North Carolina. Uh, you can get to it at TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Uh, we specialize in primarily the same type of stuff that you guys do at Carolina Blitz, uh, just bringing the Triad and points beyond new sports news on uh, prep sports in the area. HBCUs, ACC Big Four, and then, of course, Panthers, Hornets, NASCAR, Hurricanes, uh, all the professional stuff in the state of North Carolina and more. Live sports, sports talk uh, shows that are produced here in the triad, which uh, other spots cannot say, um, was raised here in North Carolina. My teams are, of course, the Panthers, the Hornets. I am the hugest uh, Carolina Tar Heel basketball fan you will find. Um, The Lakers are probably one of my uh, bigger teams I root for in the NBA kind of grew up on Showtime Lakers. So very excited to see Bron and AD bring home a ring back to uh, the Lake show this year. Um, and just, just enjoying it, man, just living it up and just trying to bring some sports talk to the triad and points beyond just like you guys are doing down in Charlotte. Well, we got a professional on with us today, so this should be good stuff. We're going to get right into our discussion. The Panthers, the Panthers threes, that's kind of what I've been calling them. The Panthers' three struggles, let's be more specific about things. Third quarters have been a huge struggle for the Panthers. They have had zero points in six of their ten games. Uh, the Bucks zero points in the third quarter. Chiefs, zero points in the third quarter. Bears, zero. Falcons, zero. Chargers, zero. Raiders, zero. Um, also, third down efficiency has been a struggle. Again, another three. They are 20th in the league on third down efficiency on offense and then in defense, 32nd, dead last. So, Desmond, I'm going to ask you, who's to blame for this? Would you put it on the coaches or would you put it on the players? Before, I would have put it on the coaches. But to be honest, I'm kind of leaning towards putting it on Teddy Bridgewater, the quarterback. It kind of starts with him because, you know, what I I think has happened is that uh, we have given Teddy a bit of a reprieve in terms of critique because of how accurate he is. And as Carolina Panther fans, as you would know, 
uh, we're not used to having an accurate quarterback. Like we're not used to a guy throwing for 75% completion percentage in, a, in any football game. And that goes, you know, Cam Newton for eight years. And then before him, Jake DeLome, who was a 59% completion percentage uh, guy himself. So really for the better course of almost two decades, Panther fans have been conditioned to not trust the quarterback throwing the football. And with Teddy, it's gotten to the point where we trust where he's throwing the ball, but it feels like he has a ceiling to me. Uh, now, granted, he might be able to show that I'm totally wrong, but I've got 10 games to work with here now for a track record. It feels like Teddy's going to get the ball to his guys. He's not going to threaten over the top. So defenses have begun to settle because now they have tape on him in this offense where they're just basically letting him have everything underneath and applying pressure via blitz. And either Teddy's not picking this up and hitting these these hot routes that are out there, or the the offensive coaching staff hasn't picked it up in half times and 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 made that adjustment. Joe Brady, uh, Matt Rule, these guys. You're right. The third quarters have been horrendous for Carolina all season long. They've been out schemed. They've been out planned in the third quarter. They can't score anything in the third quarter, and that's usually when teams kind of get ahead on Carolina. And then the fourth quarter becomes this this game where Carolina's trying right. to catch. And it's the same episode every single week. So at this point, I have to question, you know, going into week 11, how much can I put on them not having a preseason or not having Christian McCaffrey for most of the year or not having OTAs? We're past the halfway point of the 2020 season, and I'm still seeing the same things I saw in week three, week four. So I, I was I was willing to put most of it on the coaching staff, but now I'm leaning more towards putting it on who is basically the de facto leader of this team with no Christian McCaffrey, and that would be the quarterback Teddy Bridgewater. And and you know what I I'm I'm gonna lean with you on this one. Uh, Coach Rule said that they do put a lot on Teddy Bridgewater as far as decision making. You know, once I think that I think that Brady feeds the play. But once Bridgewater steps into that huddle, he basically has free reign to do what he feels like will put the Panthers in the best uh, situation to win. Uh, And, you know, zero points in the third quarter is not is not acceptable. And you brought up the fact that, you know, he the completion percentage and I and I'm and I'm torn with this statistic because right now, Teddy Bridgewater is number two, who ranks second in the NFL. Uh, with completion uh, percentage at 72.1. But uh, does that really matter if you can't win the game in the fourth quarter? You know, do would I rather have a guy who is can dump the ball off and, and, and hope for yards after the catch or somebody who will give me an opportunity to win in the fourth quarter? Uh, and that's kind of where I'm at with Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, and, and I feel like with this specifically, with the Panthers' three struggle, I can't put it all on Teddy. I have to put some some on the coaching because the Panthers usually play these teams very tough in the first half. And you saw that this past week against Tampa Bay. Stuck with Tampa Bay, you go to halftime, tied, and then you come out of the break and you lay an egg. And I don't and, and I don't and I'm like, well, what is what are the coaches telling you in the locker room? What are your halftime adjustments? Because you would think that you would come out of the break with a little more gumption, with a little mm. more, you know, edge to you. And and they're coming out flat. And I can't just put that on the players because part of the job of the coaches uh, is to be a motivator. And we, I mean, Matt Rule is supposedly a great motivator. What is he saying during halftime that these guys come out 
in the third quarter and they can't score points. And on the flip side, the defense can't stop their opponents. Yeah, that's a huge problem in the third quarter, too, where uh, it felt like we went a good three, four weeks in a row and only forced like two punts. Like, that's just unacceptable in the NFL. Like, there's no reason for any of us to believe that we have any business winning any football games when we can't get off the field. Like, literally, we cannot get off the field. And uh, the the Ronald Jones 98-yard touchdown run uh, for Tampa last Sunday was a perfect perfect example of this. They're down on their own two-yard line. And basically, multiple people missed assignments on that play. And one of the telling things of it, Shaq Thompson's screaming out the play call before the play snapped. Like, he's screaming out what it is. And then you've got guys like Tahir Whitehead, instead of running towards a hole or where the play is or, the, or following the ball, he just runs towards the pile. Like he literally just runs towards the pile, like where everybody is. And next thing you know, Ronald Jones is running past him, and it's a foot race between him and Jeremy Chin for 98 yards. It's, yeah. it's little things like that where one week I'll be like, okay, Carolina gave me another exciting game. Uh, you know, they fought to the end. Uh, the game was competitive, it was close. Last Sunday was the first Sunday all year where when the game was over, I was just like, it felt like the, it felt like the Carolina Panthers kind of stopped playing. They kind of quit a little bit. They in the third, did. Fourth you quarter. know what? And I, I absolutely, I said that I was in the press box and I told uh, my friend Sheena, who we uh, have a podcast called Quick Blitz, quick little plug on that. Uh, nice. And I told her, I was like, yo, it really feels like these guys have quit. And I think that that 98 yard, there were two, there were two plays that, that kind of, I feel like took the wind out of the sails for the Panthers. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Carolina Blitz, the radio show on ESPN 730 with special guest host Desmond Johnson. One play was that 98 yard gash, right? And then because you have such a good special teams play, you pin the team at the two. And the other one was that fake punt, which was a weird decision. And it was, you know, when, when it happened, everybody was like, Oh my goodness. Like Mm. it worked the week before, but this is not something that you can do twice. And so you have that gash and then you have a fake punt, which puts Brady and company in very good field position. And I think that after that, the team was like, you know, bump it. Like this is over. Yeah. It kind of felt like at that point they mailed it in, but you know, it's funny. I, I felt like through the week I had this taste in my mouth, like, Man, that was the worst game Carolina's played all year. Like I, I didn't expect that from them, at, you know, against uh, Tampa. And then I went back and watched it before I uh, I host the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast with former Panther cornerback Tyrone Poole, and we usually tape on Thursdays. So I went back and watched the replay of the game right before we taped, and I didn't really realize it, but the score was thirty-two to twenty-three, eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Like the, it was still right there, so it yeah. wasn't like they were getting blown out or anything. The final score is pretty deceptive makes it look like, you know, 46 to 23. Oh man, the Panthers got took to the woodshed, but they were in the game like throughout. And to say that this team, this Panther team was in this game against Tampa, who many people considered to be a Super Bowl contender. And I believe it after watching them on Sunday, they've got pretty much everything you need to get to the Super Bowl for the Panthers to be there within, you know, what, eight points, nine points with eight minutes to go in the fourth in a game where they couldn't score in the third quarter. They really couldn't stop Tampa going up and down the field. And the defense was just having these mental lapses. You got injuries all over the roster, yet you're still in the game in the fourth. And then Tampa just kind of broke their spirit, like in the fourth quarter. And again, it comes back to, for me, it comes back to Teddy 
and him being able to lead this offense into the end zone. I know they're missing Christian McCaffrey, and it was so evident in that Chiefs game where they were able to come out early and get two touchdowns with Christian in the offense. But without, I mean, we knew we weren't going to have him. So they've got to do better in terms of getting in the end zone when they've got those opportunities because we we really have a limited amount of space to, to for error. Like we can't, we're not at that place yet where we can, you know, survive having a couple of turnovers or something and still win the game. The Panthers almost have to play a perfect game from start to finish this year uh, to win uh, games, and not just against Tampa, even against the Lions this week. Uh, they got to do kind of the same type of formula that got them three wins earlier in the year. Yeah, and um, you bring up Christian, and and I'm going to say this, and then we're going to move on because we could talk about this the whole show. But <laughs> the Panthers kind of abandoned the run. I think that – I mean, Mike Davis is no chopped liver. Like, he is a good running back. And sometimes Christian McCaffrey becomes a crutch, I believe, when he's on the field and everything has to run through Christian McCaffrey. Mike Davis only had seven rushing attempts against Tampa Bay. Like – uh, yeah, and, and and it's not like there's I mean, he's not Christian McCaffrey, but there really isn't as big of a fall off as people might think. And, and so, you know, you completely abandon the rush like that. It was just it was just a tough game. Um, Hopefully they bounce back better this week. But, you know, it could be one of those it could be one of those slow type burn type things where they, it continues to um, plague them as they move forward. All right, if you are tuned in, if you're just now tuning in, you're listening to Carolina Blister Radio Show on ESPN 730, talking again to Desmond Johnson of uh, Tobacco Road Radio. Now we're going to move on to the NBA draft. Now, the Hornets selected LaMelo Ball with a third pick in the draft uh, this week. What are your thoughts on the pick, and how would you grade Charlotte's draft overall? I loved it. I loved it. I, I the, the image in my head is that Dwayne Wade uh, gif of him going, I love it. That That's how I felt about the <laughs> about the Hornets draft this year. I uh, I watched the first like five picks uh, just to see where they would line up. When Edwards went to Minnesota, I was like, OK, they're going to get LaMelo because Golden State and Wiseman just fit like that's exactly what they needed. This was before we knew about Clay Thompson's uh, right. Achilles and everything. And it might have went a little different if like Golden State had known. Uh, going into the draft that day, what it was instead of later on that night. But I've been on LaMelo uh, on my show, uh, The Rundown, that airs Friday afternoons uh, here in the triad from four to six. I've been on LaMelo Ball Ball for the past two plus months. Like I feel like the Hornets right now, I love what Mitch Kupchak is doing. He's building pieces, but eventually you have to get to a point where you need a star. And when you have a top three draft pick, you're looking for a franchise change in star. And out of this draft, I felt like Ball was the one that had the potential to be a star, like not just in Charlotte, but nationally, like a national star. Uh, the, the Hornets really, if you look back at their at their history, they've really only had like four franchise changing draft picks like in their entire history. Uh, Larry Johnson, of course, is the first. They got lucky and the second one was the next year with Alonzo Mourning. I count Baron Davis as the third. Okay. And I think and I think LaMelo is going to be the fourth. Uh he just he he's everything they needed to become more relevant nationally. Wait, 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 had, wait, 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 wait. No love for Kimba? Kimba was great, but he wasn't ever going to get us to a national stage by himself. Okay. okay. Like I, I just like I love Kimba Walker. Uh I wish they had paid him the extension to be honest, but I understood why they didn't. And with LaMelo, 
you're you're bringing in not just a, a six foot seven point guard that can pass. He needs to work on his shooting. I think he's like a twenty five percent three point shooter. So he's got to work on that. But he's he's there to distribute. And I look back to the way the national media treated his older brother Lonzo when he got drafted by the Lakers second overall a couple years ago. Lonzo wasn't doing anything super flashy. He just was dropping dimes. Like he was just giving assists to everybody. So he was averaging like nine, 10 assists during his rookie campaign and scoring like 12 or 14 points. And the national media went nuts over this kid and anointed him the next Jason Kidd. If LaMelo can do that in Charlotte, average 14, 15 a game and nine, 10 assists his rookie year, I promise you, Charlotte will have more national exposure. They'll be on TV more often, primetime. And the ball to Miles Bridges alley-oop combination will be the the next big thing in the NBA. I really, really feel that high about the ball pick. I just think it was fantastic. They didn't trade up to go for him. They didn't have to trade anything to get him. They finally did the smart thing and waited. And the best player available on the board to me fell in their lap, and they didn't hesitate, and they went and grabbed him. Yeah, first of all, the the Hornets are do this. And every time I see Anthony Davis play, I'm like, that Mm. pick was supposed to be the Hornets pick. Okay, Don't get me started. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) The Hornets won like negative two games that year, right? Oh, They sucked (laughs) on purpose, I think, right? So they had the worst record. Anthony Davis was coming to the games with Hornets gear on. It was like it was set up. It was meant to be. It It really was. It was meant to be. And then... (laughs) I, he ends up going to the team that left Charlotte, who at the time was owned by the NBA because of oh. a, a a little, you know, a a, a stopgap in, in ownership. And it was like, mm-hmm. dang, like that was supposed to be the year. My didn't it feel like it was set up. It didn't it feel was, like it was it set really up for them to get like that set up. It really mm-hmm. felt like the like the Hornets got robbed, like with no ski mask and a pair of Air Force <laughs> Ones, like for real. Black forces. They the NBA robbed the Hornets with no ski mask and they had on black Air Force Ones. Took they, they, no, they took they they took no the number one mom question. pendant. Right. <laughs> they took the number no. one mom pendant off of them. <laughs> right. No question. Now with this one. The Hornets were not supposed to get statistically, they weren't supposed to get the number three pick. So they kind of moved up a few spots. And then, you know, I'm not I'm not as high on LaMelo as you are. And I don't I don't really have any justifiable reasons other than this is just my gut. But I do feel like he has a higher upside than his brother, way higher, because, you know, everybody wanted to label Lonzo the next Jason Kidd. But we see that he's not now. Uh, But. And maybe he'll get better, but I was just having this conversation with somebody (laughs) yesterday about Lonzo. But LaMelo, I feel like, has the most upside potential. And out of those three guys, I think he also has the most star potential, not just because of what he'll be able to do on the court. He just has a flash and a flare about him. And you have to have that in your guy that's going to be the face of your franchise. I think that was the only thing kind of Kimba was missing. Kimba had the talent. And he was a great player for the Hornets, like one arguably, you know, the best ever. But he was just real low key. Like and and LaMelo is not going to be low key. He's going to bring fans to the stands. He's like to me, he could be the equivalent of what Cam did for the Panthers. Cam kind of had the Panthers. He bought swag to the Panthers like and and I think that LaMelo ball can do that for the Hornets. And that is the hope. I don't think there'll be any middle ground with LaMelo. I think either he is going to be a breakout star or he's going to be a bust. 
Uh, and uh, the hope is that he'll be a, a breakout star. I, I love that Cam Newton comparison. Uh, I was going to actually go a different way and say that, you know, I actually kind of compare Cam Newton to Kimball Walker. And by that, I mean, they basically carried franchises on their backs in Charlotte. And now you're seeing them in two different cities. And you're basically kind of seeing the teams they left. They had started building around Kimba and Cam. And Cam and Kimba aren't here to to enjoy the fruits of those uh, yeah. those of that labor you know what i mean like with carolina the offense you're seeing right now with the panthers christian mccaffrey drafted uh by marty herney dj moore drafted by the panthers curtis samuel drafted by the panthers like these guys were brought in to build it up for cam newton exactly. like they, they, and they, were, they weren't hiding it they were saying we got to go get him some weapons and that's what they were doing until cam just kind of broke down physically and they made a choice of course ownership changed so that changed a little bit as well it's the exact same thing in charlotte rich cho drove the hornets into the ground salary cap wise by making yeah, bad decisions terrible. uh i have ragged on nick batum for three years because of a contract that anybody would have signed but it's just horrible for the franchise and mitch kupchak comes in starts cleaning it up and look at the past two drafts that mitch kupchak has had for the hornets he has built a steady really good foundation for the hornets just in the past three drafts miles bridges pj washington Devonte graham LaMelo Ball, and then the second round, I thought they knocked it out of the park the other night. Like, I think that's what made Hornets have the best draft out of everybody. Wait, 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 wait. The Tar Heel fan is a fan of Duke's Vernon Carey? I'm able to give I'm able to give kids that are on Duke's campuses for only seven to eight months a bit of a path. Oh, don't, <laughs> I don't, even count, don't do I don't even, that. I don't even, don't I don't do even count them as full-blooded I, Duke guys. <laughs> I know you claim uh, – I know you claim <laughs> – uh, the guy that went to the Bulls. I covered him, and I am drawing a blank on his name. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Kobe White. Kobe White. So, yeah. do you do you count Kobe White as a Tar Heel? Oh, of course. I, oh, I because because Carolina hasn't built a, a a reputation of one and done guys, and nobody thought Kobe was going to be one and done uh, when he got there. I actually I actually called play by play for uh for Netcast Sports for the Josh Level Classic up here in Greensboro the year right before Kobe entered freshman year at Carolina. And uh, he was battling back and forth with the Langley twins up here who, uh, who were uh, division one kids themselves. And he ended up going for like 46 points in this game. And <laughs> like nobody knew who he was really. And that was my introduction to him. And then no one knew he was going to blossom into a lottery pick like freshman year. Well, so that, that's that's different. Like Vernon Carey showed up and we knew he was gone when he showed up. But wait, you know, wait, like, wait, wait, hold up, hold up, because I'm not going to let this slide. You, <laughs> you, what you said was, and you threw a little bit of shade. Now, as a disclaimer, I cover both of these teams. So, you uh -huh. know, I, I there, too. there's no allegiance. <laughs> um, and and if, you're, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Carolina Blitz, the radio show on ESPN 730. You said that the Tar Heels haven't built a culture around one and dones. Well, right. that's not because they haven't tried. Like, all oh, of no, these, I'm not all, saying they haven't the, tried. So the, if, the, <laughs> if they could have built the culture around one and dones, they would have. Nasir Little was supposed to be or he, was he? He did. Well, he, he, was, yeah, he, was he was one, one and one, one yeah. and done. And he probably should have stayed. He probably should have stayed. stayed. Baycott the, thought he was going to be a one and done. Like they have gone after these one and done players. They just haven't gotten them until this year. And I feel like they have a few one-and-done players on their squad. They could. Or what's happened is that guys that got to Carolina that people thought should be one-and-done ended up staying longer than a year. Harrison Barnes comes to mind. So, like, that happens more often at Carolina than it does at Duke, where Duke got to a point over the – really since 2011, 
the Kyrie Irving class where they basically swap out three, four, five guys a year for three, four, five new guys every single but year. Like, whereas oh, Carolina doesn't I do gotta that. stop you again. Do you think that these guys aren't one and done's because out of because they choose not to be one and done's? Like these guys are not one and done's because their draft stock does not allow them to be one and done. Like you can't apply I'm that per- to somebody like Harrison Barnes, though. He was going to be a top five pick. Actually, he would have he would have done better for himself to leave after freshman year than coming back for sophomore Harrison year. Harrison Barnes was really before the whole one and done wave start 2012 2012 That's i mean a it, it was long right time ago in college basketball years like the, and then, the the one and done wave really started probably around harrison barnes he was probably like that first first group of guys and, yeah, and he uh, could have he could have gone but i don't think the tar heels are out here like uh, these guys who are coming as one and duns are like okay well i just love carolina so much i'm gonna stay well longer. A lot of them have said those very words that they've yeah, stayed longer they, than they need. They're not going to get drafted, and it sounds good. It <laughs> but sounds that's, good. But that's that's better than what happened on Wednesday night, where you've got Vernon Carey and Cassius Stanley and these other guys that left early and didn't get drafted in the first round, so they don't get guaranteed money. They should have stayed at Duke another year, but they didn't because they got pushed out because the next class is coming in, and that's been going on for the past six or seven years. It's just. It's two oh, different philosophies. I don't know. It's two different philosophies. I'm not telling any tales. Every Duke fan out there knows what it is. Like they brag about it. Like I've been ragging on Duke fans all week, talking about, hey, did you guys have any first rounders this year? Because I don't really remember seeing anybody on the list for first round for Duke, but I do well, remember the right. Orange no, and uh, Carrie. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, mean, absolutely no first rounders, and that's kind of a gut punch to Duke squad. But you turn it back just a year ago, they had three in the top what five top six so yeah yeah so you know it it, it happens but all right we're gonna move on again you're tuned (laughs) into carolina blitz radio on espn 730 we have just a few minutes we're gonna start do our blitz or block uh if you are agree with it you blitz and if not you're blocking uh the panthers they've lost five games in a row this week they'll face the detroit lions at home um blitz or block they break their losing streak Sunday. It's kind of hard to say, not knowing who the quarterback is going to be. Um, oof. They are at home. Um, man, I'm going to go block. Like I, There's too many unknowns right now for me with the Carolina team as a whole. I don't even know who's playing <laughs> this week. Like, Is it going to be Will Greer? Is it going to be Teddy Bridgewater? If it's Bridgewater, is he going to be hampered by the sprained MCL? Uh there's too many unknowns for me to pick the Panthers in this game. I do think that they'll be competitive. I think a Matt Rule team uh, will bounce back after speaking to the beat writers down in Charlotte this week. The team seems to have moved on from the Tampa loss. So I think it'll be close, but I think Detroit's going to probably figure a way to end this uh, late in the fourth. So I'm going to block that. I'm going to blitz it, actually. And 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 with a caveat, I'm going to blitz it if Bridgewater plays. Uh, and I, I think that... Oh, see, you took the easy way. <laughs> I, no, yeah, I am. If Bridgewater doesn't play, they're not going to win the game. I mean, that's that's straight up. But I'm okay. going to assume uh, Matt Rule said on Friday he's listed as questionable. Teddy Bridgewater will probably, or he will be a game-time decision. They'll see how he looks at practice today. Uh, but if Teddy Bridgewater plays, they win. If he doesn't, they lose. Uh, I j- and I think that after this, they'll probably go on another downward spiral. Uh, second blitzer block. There have been questions uh, this week, and we kind of, I-, I think I know your answer to this. Uh, <laughs> there have been questions this week. 
Panthers press conferences about Teddy Bridgewater if he's a franchise quarterback. His coaches have said yes. So I ask you, Blitzer Block, Teddy Bridgewater is a franchise quarterback. I'm going to say no. Um, block. I'm going to block on that. That doesn't mean he's not a good quarterback or uh, a serviceable quarterback or a quarterback that can win games in the league. When I when I hear the term franchise quarterback, I really only think of maybe six to eight guys total in the whole league, you know, that, that are at that level. Like when I hear franchise quarterback, I think elite and I wouldn't put Teddy in the elite category. Is he accurate? Yes. Can he win football games? Yes. Will he lose a football game for you? More often than not, no. Right. So he, he's, he's right there, but I've yet to see this season. Teddy lead this team on a two minute fourth quarter drive to win a football game. And they've had like six chances it, to do it. it. it, it you <laughs> won't, you won't see it. You can go, you can, you can check the tape. You will not see anywhere this season where Teddy Bridgewater has been able to lead the Panthers on a game winning drive in the fourth quarter. And that has not been for a lack of uh, opportunities. Like he's, he's had thrown some interceptions. Yeah, yeah. He's thrown some interceptions in, in those situations. I think he's thrown two or three interceptions. Yeah, in so absolutely. yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a go block uh, Sam Howell 2022. How about that? Oh, wow. That's interesting from the Tar Heel fan. Okay. I'm going to block. I'm going to block. Teddy Bridgewater has not shown me anything to lead me to believe that he is a franchise quarterback. Franchise quarterbacks win in the fourth quarter. Franchise quarterbacks win game-winning drives. And right now, he has not been able to do that. Could he possibly? Right now, he hasn't been able to. So, uh, thank you, uh, Desmond. Again, Desmond Johnson for uh, coming on our show today. Make sure you check him out on Tobacco Sports Radio and follow him at Des3505. We'll be here on ESPN 730 every Saturday at 1030. Uh, so make sure you're following the us. Commercial program checking was us out and going to CarolinaBlitz.com for North all of Carolina, your Carolina sports Which is solely responsible for its content. content.